Bob, you there? Hey, Kevin. everyone else there? How you doing? Good. How's it going? All right. Uh, I got a little surprise for you. We got, we just got a theme song in, and I, I think you'll like it. We're, we're trying out new theme song for the podcast. Uh, give us your feedback. I think, uh, I think you'll like this one, Bob. What All do you right. think? Hang on. Let me pour a little more of my glass here. All right. How you like this one? <laughs> it's AI Elvis. Oh, this is amazing. This is amazing. I I heard this and I could not stop laughing. <laughs> People are looking at me like there's something wrong with me, so just about like normal. <laughs> I don't know if it's appropriate, but it's awful catchy. Oh, that Anaconda! What the heck? Oh, we better cut that off. Oh, I can't get it to stop. It's good. All right. Hopefully that's not under copyright. <laughs> I don't think AI Elvis, uh, you know, is a human being, right? It is not. So? Somebody created it, though. But a computer created I don't know how all that works. Yeah, we'll find out. <laughs> we'll find out when we get the cease and desist. When we get the letter, yeah. All right, so that's that's a uh, potential uh, theme song, but we might not stick with it. I thought we might, you know, I might try to create our, we could create our own AI Elvis song. That's a great idea. That's a great idea. Uh, coming to you in 2024 when we get our minds around that. Anyways, welcome, uh, hello and welcome all to the uh, Sensible Center podcast. I'm Kevin. Uh, left of center guy from the great state of cheese, old fashions, supper clubs, which we all know as the great state of Wisconsin. And you are? I am Bob Caruso from the great state of Tennessee. I lean conservative. I consider myself a libertarian. Um, I also like cheese, but it melts a lot faster down here. <laughs> it does melt a lot faster. Uh... And so the point of the podcast is while we're from different uh, political ideologies, we both believe our political system is broken and in need of reform. And we formed a political action committee towards that goal. So we invite you to sit back, grab an adult beverage or two, uh, as we are. Uh, not, we're not endorsing it if you are driving. Uh, unless, of course, you are in the state of Tennessee. No, I didn't say Tennessee. Texas or Florida. Do they allow it in Tennessee? They allow you to have open alcohol in the car in Tennessee as long that's as you're not the driver. Sure. <laughs> that makes sense, right? But I think that's kind of probable cause right there, so I don't really allow that in my vehicles. But No, I wouldn't yeah. think so. Um, and so you sit back and listen to what we hope to be a uh, respectable, sometimes intelligent, and occasionally fun conversation about politics, reform, and the issues facing our country. So thanks for joining us. Uh, further information can be found at our website, uh, sensiblecenterpack.com. Um, so this is our second podcast. We want to thank everyone who uh, listened to the first one and gave some great feedback. Although I was a little bit disturbed that I heard, you know, several fans of Bob. Uh, I didn't hear any great feedback on my own. Uh, so I, I, I don't think know you're way you're better. You I got, you got you, a radio voice. I don't know what you're doing, Bob. But 
I'm, I'm going to try to throw you off your game. I have a, been told a, I have a superior a sense of knowledge and I'm very smart and intelligent, but I think you have the better radio voice. Uh, better right, radio we'll face, too. That. I tried to prep a little bit more this time because I, <laughs> I want, listening back, I thought, you know, I thought you uh, you got the better of me on the debate issues. So uh, hopefully I'm a little bit more prepared this time. Um, one of the Probably. interesting comments I heard back was somebody said, you know, that we should disagree more. And, you know, I guess when we talk about the flat tax, you'll you'll really hear <laughs> you'll really hear uh, us get uh, into a detailed uh, yeah. heated discussion in regards to that. In the uh, Fed. But in the Fed. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I think, you know, the point of the podcast is that um, we uh, we are coming from two different ideologies, but I think we have more in common. And I think most people have more in common than they think. And they should kind of just open their minds to the other point of view. And uh, by having a conversation about things, you can kind of come to a realization that there is a lot more common ground than there is differences we've spent years debating completely sober and then also probably quite drunk and all kinds of shades in between we both want what's right for people we want what's best for people we have different difference in opinions on how you get there and it's simple as that right so i think i think generally speaking we both agree on on what we want or where we want to get to and i think as a country most people feel that way it's a matter of finding where we have in common that we can attack, right? And that's what this pack's about. Where will we donate money to? Who are the candidates that we're gonna donate money to? And we'll get to that deeper probably a little today and then in the future as well. But yeah, it, we may be on opposite sides of the fence. We have different thoughts on how we're gonna get to where we wanna get to, but in the end, we've both got um, similar goals. Yep. Uh, so, uh, we're going to flip back and forth. Last time I kind of drove a little bit of the conversation and topics and kind of give equal time, which we like to do. Uh, Bob's going to do that, uh, this time. So Bob, why don't you take us down the, the, the things we're going to be talking about today that people can look forward to. All right. I think where we're going to start today is, uh, the unsolvable mystery of our time. Um, I, I like to refer to it as Hunter Biden and the cocaine caper. It's um, a good name for it. Did you come up with that yourself? I, I did. All right. Copyright that. <laughs> you could start a um, website. I'm sure you'll get more hits than ours. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, to be fair, I did see a meme the other day. I think I sent it to you with Hunter in a, in a uh, Sherlock Holmes cap with a crack pipe sticking out of his mouth, one. and it said something along the lines of Hunter's on the case to solve the mystery of whose cocaine it was in the White House. So yeah, it's funny. Regardless, so look, I'll start with a question. Are you buying the White House story that it wasn't Hunter's or Joe's? We're, we're jumping right into this? I think so. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> to be honest with you. You think Joe's doing it? I, I'm pretty sure it was Hunter's. Um, you pretty I, sure? I think I, I wouldn't put it past Joe in the past, but I, I'm fairly certain based on just the video of him 
in the balcony last week putting something up his nose on camera I, behind his wife and kid. I did see uh, that video. Yeah. But at this point, I'm under the assumption it was his. It was Hunter's until the White House proves otherwise. So they're, all, they're just all together refusing to comment at this point. So you're not buying that he's cleaner and sober? Oh, no, absolutely not. But my question is, is, you know, how did it get in the White House, right? And if it got in the White House just in his pocket or somebody else's pocket that wasn't right. his, it's even worse, right? Because it could have been anthrax or it could have been ricin or it could have been something else, fentanyl for that matter, that would be easily slipped into either ventilation system or a drink. So either the security there is really bad or they let him through and it's his. And it would make more sense that it was his and he got through because maybe they, you know, his family. Have you been to the White House? I have not. Yeah, I I just curious what kind of security they would have and for like... uh... You know, I I would imagine they empty your pockets and shake you down and do all that that kind they, of stuff. They got to put you through like an airport type scanner, and there's got to be dogs and 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 I I'm I'm certain there's cameras all over that place, especially outside the Situation Room where that bag was found. So most likely, whoever had it, they're on camera with it. How long does it take to get fingerprints on a plastic bag? An hour. So, you know, if the White House knew, the White House knows whose it was right now. And therefore, if it's not somebody that would embarrass them, they would have announced it already. But you think that that's something that they should do? Announce who it is? Has anybody been fired? I, I think, think the Secret Service is investigating it, not, not the White House, so to speak, right? Sure. So, I... I, I I mean, I'm, I would lean towards an employee based upon my understanding of where it was found and sort of in a cubby and I guess where they put phones and stuff uh, before they go into meetings. So maybe somebody just, uh, you know, accidentally took it out of their pocket with their phone and <laughs> put it down. You never know. Uh, that's a possibility. I mean, I, I could care less if it's Hunter's or not. I don't know what happens uh, if it was him. You know, does Joe pull him aside and give him a lecture on bringing cocaine into the house? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't ever want what, to see that again. What does that look like? I better not catch you with that ever again. I think that's they shouldn't leave him there, you know, if they go out of town or go to Camp David for the weekend. I would recommend... You know, not leaving him in the White House by himself. It it wasn't that the dog was mean. You know, that German Shepherd they had to get rid of. It wasn't mean. It was just always sniffing around Hunter's cocaine. So I I, I guess, again, again, like most things here, uh, the, the thing itself is, you know, somewhat disturbing. But the fact that, uh, they're kind of playing with it and saying, well, they were all up in Camp David versus you know nobody knows yeah. when it was put there or whatnot so uh, i think they've bo- i think they've botched the <laughs> the communication and messaging not surprising here uh and kind of made it a bigger deal by uh doing that but you i with a lot of these things it's six one half dozen the other if you start 
saying stuff, then you're giving it more credence and nobody's going to buy your story anyway. So um, I don't know how you get around it. And how I don't do, know. I how just think they... you come out and say, look, it's exactly what you guys think it was. We're not going to say who or what. And um, we're taking care of it internally. That way you don't put any legal problems over the top of it. You settle it. You admit it. It's done. It's, you know, that's, that's what I would do. Is there any possibility that, well, I guess the Secret Service is going to testify tomorrow in front of the House Oversight Committee because this is a, this is a critical national security interest. I guess, you know, if you go with the, it could have been anthrax. Well, they evacuated the White House, which I guess w led to the, the public airing of it probably more than anything, right? Yep. Uh, if they didn't have to do that, they probably would have swept it under the rug, so to speak. And there's a new Hunter, protocol now. Check if and then Hunter would have went around. under the rug to get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Check if Hunter's been around before you announce to the country that the White House has been evacuated. Second, so, check the freezer for refrigerator for Parmesan cheese or whatever Hunter called his crack. Yeah. Right. <laughs> is that what he called it? I think so. <laughs> oh, geez. If it ain't, if it ain't, uh, you know. So it's an interesting story. It's an interesting caper. I'm sure they'll get right to the bottom of it and we'll, we'll all agree that, uh, you know, the mystery's been solved. Yeah, I mean, one more thing on this, right? I mean, this kind of seems like a partisan story that from an overall big bit. picture thing, who cares? Yeah. But the, the problem is, again, going back to last week, there's a growing feeling in this country that the Justice Department is not exactly nonpartisan. They're very partisan in how they do things. Hunter's got a history of getting away with things or not being charged with things. There's another big story in the news this week that I don't want to go off topic on. Um, so maybe next next podcast we'll get into that one. But that that's really why this is a symptom of that. And it's just kind of one more rock on the stack, right? But anyway. Yeah, but I don't I don't know how you get around that at this point. You can't. Like I said, no matter what happens, they will think unless they they lock them up, which I you know lock the whole family up. I don't know. I don't know what would satisfy people at this point that they're getting yeah, the, I think, the truth. I think um, well, that, that actually kind of takes us into our next next topic. Um, oh, what are you drinking, uh, by the way? I heard oh, you. Oh, that's rattling a great your, question. Rattling your glass there. Thank you. I am today drinking an Old Forester single barrel, barrel strength bourbon. It's uh, 133.6 proof. So yes, I had to cut it with some ice. Nice. Um, I do have to work in the morning. Um, how about you? Was there a guy called Orf Old Forester? Uh, actually, I think his dad started it. His name was Very Old Forester. Was it? So he's just old forester. That's right. <laughs> Named it after his kid. And he liked to cut down trees, right? No, that was old deforester. <laughs> oh, that was defore old deforester. His cousin. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. <laughs> this guy went behind his cousin and planted the trees. 
old B. Forrester. I'm, yeah. I'm drinking the very pedestrian Woodford Reserve uh, distiller's, uh, distiller's choice. Um, so it's, a, it's an everyday drinker, uh, but uh, not that I drink every day, uh, but I will not confirm or deny that. Uh, but I will say that I'm Irish, so make your own, make your own conclusion on that. But it's a nice, it's a nice, uh, affordable. I, I never drank Woodford before, but I heard it's a good kind of. I like uh, it. Mid-range uh, bourbon, which it's I, inexpensive. I like. It's got a lot yeah. of leather to it, which you don't get in a lot of bourbons nowadays, and it's full flavor, a little bit of punch, right? Yep. Um, yeah, it's good. So you were, we were going to talk about uh, trust in government. I assume you're going to roll into RFK at this point. Well, you know, I was um, initially, and we'll go to that next. But we had kind of talked about trust in government and um, really being fair on both sides. If someone breaks the law, yep, doesn't matter what party they're in or how long they've been in government going after him right so um i think that does fit well actually with rfk's candidate or platform but i want to talk a little bit about the pack goals and okay. and specifically just one of the pack goals for today which is um a requirement for receiving pack funds um, would be a willingness to support congressional term limits Yes. So in short, right, um, we're hoping in the near future to be able to support a bunch of various candidates to, who've got the same beliefs that we do, same goals that we do, getting rid of the partisan stuff on either side of the aisle, going after real reform, real change. And one of those items is congressional term limits. So I wanted to talk a little bit about um, each, I think, my ideas and my thoughts behind what this will do, what having term limits will do in Congress and the Senate and in the House to benefit the country. And so my first thought is Congress will be more likely to vote as promised to their constituents and less likely to accept massive amounts of pork from other members of either the House or the Senate. You agree with that? So that's on the pro side. I actually did some uh, reading about term limits, and, and it's kind of interesting. Uh, this is some of the research that I did, Bob, that that I said I was going to bring into the podcast this time. You know, this, this was actually debated, uh, and there's a Federalist paper written about uh, congressional term limits, particularly senatorial term limits, um, and they decided against it, the founding fathers back in the day, uh, and it really only came up again uh, during FDR's term when he went for a fourth term. And it, he was very popular, and the Congress decided to limit the presidential terms, but not their own terms at that point. Um, There's still congressmen around from that era, by the way. <laughs> yes, there are. There's a couple of them. Uh, and, you know, reading some of the background on the founding fathers, they thought, uh, 
what outweighed everything else in regards to term limits and we could you just brought up a a a, a position that would say um we should limit terms because it has a corrupting influence the longer people are in but it seemed like the thing they focused mostly on was the knowledge uh and the experience in policy and lawmaking that what our congress does is so complicated that you need very experienced and smart people now most of the people who said that uh that i read about were actually in the continental <laughs> convention and, and, and things parks. like that so yes. yeah so you know they were speaking about themselves at that point um but that was the biggest argument that I saw, that it would create instability and people who didn't know what they were doing. Now, judging by our congressional performance, that's they've set a pretty low bar. And, you know, I'm almost willing to t try my hand at it, you know. I can't, you can't do much worse, right? I mean, mm -hmm. at this point, I don't – I think we could all, uh, you know – Why do you need – 2,000 page bills when you could have a one page bill. Right? It's because it's and complicated, Bob. It's, it's, not it's not easy. It's once you start thinking about things, you, you, you start with page one and then you write it. And then, then, and then your lobbyist got to write a line and then your other lobbyist needs to write a line. And then your third lobbyist oh. needs to cancel out a line. That, that may be, that may be, but next thing you know, you're at 2000 pages. <laughs> <laughs> when nobody's read out, it. What started out as a simple idea. Um, so I don't buy that argument just like you don't. I, I, um, it seems to me that there are, you know, staffers. Oh, and another thing, you know, I read was that if you think you're going to have less special interest influence by turning over people a lot more often, but in fact, they would actually rely on lobbyists and special interests more for information and background about certain bills. So they would become, and I'm sort of playing the devil's advocate because I think like it, you know, we should have a reasonable discussion and not just say, yeah, term limits, term limits. Uh, we should kind of yeah. assess each of these points. And, and I mean, that sort of makes sense on the face of it. But I, I do like you kind said, of disagree fact... with it, though, right? Because it's like if you got a 2,000 page bill, your constituents have no idea what you're voting for except what the bill's called, right? Inflation Reduction Act. What was in that bill? Did it really reduce inflation? How much spending was in it, right? I mean, so let's just take that act. Like, could have had one page. We will reduce spending. Taxes will be raised on A, B, C. Done. Right now, your constituents know what's in there. When you vote for it, your constituents will know what's in there, and it'll be very clear where you stand on the issue. Do you want to raise taxes? Do you want to reduce spending? Yes or no? That's your vote. It's right there, right? But instead, the reality is you're not even voting for that. You're voting for the, you know, 56 pork items in there, and the rest of it is just a title. But, but you know. Don't you think you're simplifying it a little bit? I mean, I don't. I'm not necessarily saying you need a 2,000-page bill. 
but things do are a little bit more complicated. We're a big country of 300 plus million people. I just uh, don't. You don't. I don't. You keep things simple. I understand. Maybe five that pages? I, I, I don't think you really need funding for roads in Maryland from the federal government, right? Or a bridge in Maryland for the federal government. But let's just let's just make the argument that you do. Maybe you believe that the federal government should be funding roads in Maryland. You could have a simple one-page bill. This bridge is at risk of falling apart within six months if we don't do something. So Congress is authorizing payment of $1.5 million for repair of this bridge in Maryland. It's a simple vote. It's a simple piece of paper. Everybody in the country can see it. You want to throw 20 bridges across the country in there? Fine. But make it about what it's about and stop hiding it. That's that's where I'm coming from. I think I think it is that simple. I mean, you can pass a bill in a day that way. There's 365 days. That's 365 bills a year. I don't know how many are passed a year. I'm guessing it's not thousands. I should look into that for next time. But you could, I mean, one-line bills, you could probably pass 10 a day if you wanted, maybe more. You do it that way. And it's not a requirement by law, but because of the, um, the newness or the inexperience of all the representatives and senators, that makes their lives easier to understand as well. I mean, that's another thought now that I think about it. I wonder how long the average bill was back in 1790 and 1800. I mean, I'm sure they were much more simpler, but, uh, we are also a less complicated country. I know you're for limited government, but I think you're simplifying things a little bit too much. Maybe. Um, I'm not supporting a 2,000-page bill, which I think you're right, gets into a lot of uh, special interests, and this guy needs this this paragraph, and this got to be, and nobody reads it, and it's too complicated, and nobody understands it. And like you said, there's no transparency there, but there's a big difference between that and a one or two page bill. So um, I do think some things are pretty complex and do need, but I, I can't support not. I don't think that's a reason for not getting fresh ideas and fresh blood within uh, Congress. Um so your your point was in regards to um, whether I think that's possible. Um, I guess I would I would generally agree with you, but I I wouldn't be as far uh, certain that we wouldn't encounter some issues with new people in there that we might not know about. I'm sure we would. I mean, there, there's going to be issues, but you you got to get used to it. You learn, you adjust, that sort of thing. I mean, the, one of my favorite things about term limits is less appointments based on favors, right? Yep. Because, you know, 20 years ago, somebody maybe did Chuck Grassley a favor, right? It's Chuck's turn 20 years later to return that favor. Maybe it's an appointment. Right, whether it's to a committee or it's making a phone call to have them appointed as an ambassador or some random government job. Um, and it, it just becomes 
less based on merit, more based on favors, and it turns lifetimers that are bureaucrats, unelected bureaucrats, and you know, into just longer serving term unelected bureaucrats. And that's where we get into trouble with things like the deep state and people not trusting the government and all of that. Um, I'm going to kind of run through a couple of these other ones real quick and I'll, I'll let you go the rest of the way for this topic. But I think, I think term limits will bring new ideas, right? We need to get back to working together in a constructive manner. Um, so new ideas are, are important and having 20, 25, 40 year members of Congress is not going to help there. Um, I think people will be more likely to vote, right? Because perception that their vote matters will increase because people have been voting against, let's just call out, we'll say Chuck Grassley again. If you've been voting against Chuck Grassley for as long as he's been in what office, have nothing's Chuck? changed, right? I don't. Uh, I'm not. I'm just. I'm. I'm just trying not to be partisan he's here. Just so a I'm guy calling who's somebody out on forever. the right. He's been there forever, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, Nancy Pelosi, um, Diane Feinstein, right? right? We can go on forever. Um, there'll be less time for a politician to learn how to be dirty. Um, and because they have a short term there. in Congress, maybe it's two terms, maybe it's three. They'll be more likely to vote as promised to their constituents. Because turnover will be more readily accepted by the constituents knowing there's only maybe two or three turns for the representative anyway. All right. My thoughts. Those are your thoughts. So this is what Roger Sherman, who is the only founding father who signed all the, the, the Constitution, the Articles of Confederation. I believe the Articles of Confederation did have term limits the Declaration of Independence, and another document. The only one, he said, nothing renders government more unstable than a frequent change of the persons that administer it. Said that in 1788. Founding father. We don't buy that? Define frequent. Well, that's good. That's a good point. They, they decided not to define it at all. 1788, what was the la- average lifespan? true that's a good point especially among his peers who just went through a revolutionary war yeah i'm all for uh not being a a believer that the constant i believe the constitution is a fluid document and we should look at the times we live in and the situation we live in and not say the founding fathers had every every idea of of what would be occurring 250 years later. I think they allowed us to have the ability to amend it and to adjust it and interpret it for current times. So I agree, times have changed and and people are living longer and they probably couldn't, you know, envision a lot of the things that we're encountering now, let alone sort of the the two-party system, which I think they warned about a long time ago also. So I, I just wrote down some ideas in regards to pros for term limits. So less time dialing for dollars for your next election, right? More time focusing on policy. Um, probably more of ability to make uh, unpopular votes because you're not worried necessarily about uh, what your party's going to think and being primaried in the next election and 
even sort of, I mean, I guess you could think of it as a negative if on the negative side, if you don't have another election coming up, maybe you'll be less accountable to your constituents than you would normally be. Or, you know, on the positive side, I said, you'd be more bold in making decisions uh, and not worrying about retaining power. So it can kind of work both ways on that. Um, on the negative side, I, you know, some of what I read was that it, it takes the choice away from the voters. Uh, but interestingly enough, it seems like 80%, I've seen some surveys out there, and roughly 80%, almost even between Republicans and Democrats, support term limits, congressional term limits, which is more, more support than almost anything else besides maybe Social Security and some of the, some of the very popular social programs that have been instituted. So um, the question is, if voters are that much in favor of term limits, would we be taking the choice away from them? Um, but and in, another interesting point here, Bob, is that we do have the ability to vote, right? Isn't that the ultimate term limit decider uh, that's been written into the Constitution? And why do we continue to vote for the same people? Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. And that's part of our political reform that I don't Gerrymandering think we're getting, we're getting to see those people yeah. that uh, I think they're being cut out of the system. But I also believe that uh, there's a little bit of... Um, People tend to like their senator or representative, but don't like the system in general, don't like Congress in general. So um, I think it's a little bit of a double-edged sword there that I think people do somehow see their own. Maybe it's because they, they provide them things or they're fighting for them, um, but then they're dissatisfied with the whole political system. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting dynamic, and I don't think it's necessarily um, as kind of clear cut as a lot of people think. Because we do get to go to the ballot, we do, uh, rightly or wrongly, end up voting for the same people over and over again, um, rather than another candidate. Which you know, there are other people on the ballot. Uh, you might not like them, uh, but. There are other choices to make, and uh, but like we said, part of what we're looking to do here is kind of open up the system a little bit more, so there are more choices. Uh, there is more competition, and, and it encourages other people to get in that they might not be seeing. So hopefully that will um, that will help. And I, I look forward to getting into more of the goals of the pack, right? Um, yep. In, in future podcasts, I think. We both agree that the term limits is a, something that we both support, um, and, and and you know I appreciate you playing devil's advocate here a little bit too. It's it's important to recognize, you know, some of the downfalls potentially of having term limits, um, but I really I think we both agree term limits are a step in the right direction. But did you also know that? Uh, legislation's been introduced every session in Congress since 1943 to limit, to have term limits. Ted Cruz has one in the Senate. 
McCarthy's agreed to bring it up again and the House. To my knowledge, it's never made it past committee, um, but it is brought up uh, and introduced in every legislative session. And just so everyone kind of understands what it would take to get some of these things passed. So you would need uh, two thirds, you know, a super majority vote in both houses. Um, this is to amend the Constitution. Or, or a convention called by two-thirds of the state legislature. So you don't necessarily need to rely on Congress to amend the Constitution. It could be done through the states. Uh, and then once it gets to that point, you either have to get, uh, get three-fourths of the states or, or delegates to a constitutional convention if a constitutional convention is called rather than through the legislative process must then ratify it. So pretty high hurdles but when you think of two-thirds it's not it doesn't seem impossible to get that through the house and senate except for the fact that uh i mean i'd lo love to hear a debate on it on the floor right yep. um to hear some of the arguments for why these people think that it's not a great idea because i think we both come to the conclusion if you line up the pros and cons worst case let's try it that's right <laughs> i mean with congressional approval at whatever 15 percent. like i said how much worse could it get and i've said That's in the past and bar. i think i think you disagreed with me but i'm happy grandfathering the current members of the house and the senate in grandfather yourselves in half of them are what too the old hell? i mean they are grandfathers anyway. right they're, they're uh, great grandfathers great grandfathers exactly <laughs> Grandfather them in, and then as they come in, we filter it out, and that makes it a little bit easier as well. You had mentioned candidates being out of the system and how it's difficult to kind of get into the system, and I think that's a great transition into RFK. All right, um, my one question is RFK, Junior. Remember Junior? Junior, yes. Uh, crank or not a crank? not a crank not a crank all right he's he's different right um he's willing yeah, to speak his a, mind because he's a crank yeah <laughs> he, he may be coming I, i've i've listened to him quite a bit on podcasts recently yeah, i think so i listened I. to him on Maher, yeah right um there are a couple others that are escaping me right now um that i i'll i'll i listen to him on if yeah if if you're listening to this podcast, listen to the end of it. But Barry Weiss, who was in, on the New York Times, she's got a podcast called Honestly. And, you know, she went to his house, interviewed him uh, a little less. She was on the New York Times. Not yeah, his, little, just, yeah, yeah, was on the New York Times. She left the New York Times because she, she felt that uh, they weren't, uh, you know, being Honest. fair. They were right. So. She does a pretty good job just and asking open-ended questions and letting people represent themselves rather than backing them into a corner. Um, so that's in it. She interviewed RFK. She went junior, went to his house. Uh, and so I listened to that too. So uh, probably listened to three, four hours of him talking about uh, his positions and things like that, which I'm sure you did also. Yeah, yeah I, I think RFK junior bridges the gap between the left and the right a little bit. Um, I think 
you know, the one thing that, honestly, the main thing that scares me about him is his name. Um, I don't like the idea, and I think most Americans don't like the idea of having royalty in our country. And when you think about the Clintons, the Bush families, the Kennedys, uh, there's history there. Um, I don't like that idea. Um, but I think when you listen to him talk, he's generating ideas, ideas that you don't hear from his base party. And as a result of that, obviously, he's not getting much coverage in the media. One, because he's running against their number one guy in Biden. But you don't get much, if any, coverage. ABC, CBS, NBC. And if you do, it's usually negative. It's calling him a quack or you know, somebody who's a vaccine denier, anti-vaxxer, that sort of thing. Which, if you listen to him talk, at least recently, he's not exactly that. He's just saying we need more science. And he's arguing that the power of the pharmaceutical companies, when you consider how much they spend, and they are the number one spender of uh, media dollars or advertising dollars in this country, um, it's hard to understand if you're getting a true story. It's hard to believe you're getting a true story when they're spending all this money through the major media companies. And of course, the major major media companies are con- are refusing to criticize them, right? I, I think there's a potential conflict of interest there, and I think most of America can maybe see that as well. Um, but his platform is great. I mean, it kind of aligns somewhat with our pack, right? He doesn't have a lot of detail on how he's going to get here, so I have to ding him on that a little bit, but he wants to protect whistleblowers. Wants more government transparency. He wants to rein in lobbyists. All good. Promote citizen involvement. Yep. And prosecute officials who abuse public trust, right? I mean, all that aligns with something I'd like. Um, I'm not sure he can hold public interest, right? Even if he can break through this media firewall, which is huge. um, We know, unless there's something drastic that changes with Biden and his status as the candidate for 2024, They're really not going to debate each other, but he is a bit tough to listen to when you, he's got the problems with his voice. He does. Can he, you know, the, the first five or 10 minutes of a conversation, any podcast or interview he does, it can be a little bit difficult to focus uh, as a, as a consumer or a listener, right? So can the average American public or average American citizen in the public, hold hold their interest or not long enough i'm not sure but um. so so you know here's and i've given a lot of thought to rfk because i i I like a a truth teller you know it is it is what we're getting at here is uh introducing new voices and people from outside and shining the light um but i i I'm just having a hard time. I'm I'm still a little bit in the, especially when he was talking about. Here's my theory: his his uncle was shot, his father was assassinated. Both both father and uncle were assassinated when he was a kid. Um, I I spent a lot of time reading about the JFK uh, assassination and. I don't think we ever heard the true story on that. 
interestingly enough, I'd never heard anything other than Sirhan Sirhan shooting RFK until he was on Bill Maher. And my understanding is he doesn't think Sirhan killed his father, but a CIA operative shot his father in the back, which just, you know, set me for a loop. Um, now I've, now I've got to read books about that. It's interesting. <laughs> it's going to take, it's going to take, well. I, I had never heard that. I think that's kind of formed the basis of his, uh, life. I mean, he, he, and like any good sort of conspiracy, conspiracy theorist or, or along those lines, there's always a fairly big kernel of truth in what, uh, their basis is, but then they sort of go off the rails at some point. And I, I, I think he's done that a bit. Um, I think the truth parts, uh, are, you know, definitely regulatory capture within government business and corporate interests are within, you know, he started with environmental protection and, you know, corporate interests, uh, influencing our environmental policy. Then he switched to the pharmaceutical and vaccines. And, but I don't, I mean, from what I've somewhat read, and of course you're going to read people who are, uh, you know, within the establishment kind of going against him, that he, uh, he plays a little loose with the facts in regards to, especially on the vaccine side. So I think he's got the right ideas and, and, and I think he's going to shy away. And I've heard him kind of shying away a little bit about being the kind of anti, I think he actually said on Barry Weiss, he's not an anti-vax vaccination person. Um, I think he's saying that we should be skeptical and questioning uh, but I don't know if the 450-page book on uh, Dr. Fauci and what he's written and what he's done uh, supports that kind of uh, backing away from that position. So that's my biggest concern that, yes, there's a kernel of truth in, in all of that in regards to the lack of trust of the government, the regulatory capture, but... Um, I don't necessarily, he spews a lot of uh, information about reports and facts. And uh, I was just reading the other day that um, this guy who's appeared on many of the news broadcasts, Michael uh, Osterholm, who's an epidemiologist in, in Minnesota, that's kind of been used as an expert. He says, RFK has perfected the art of illusion of fact. Um, so then we get into what is fact and what is not. Um, and there's a lot of information out there. Um, you know, uh, it, I think where he it, got his, his, his anti-vax kind of, uh, persona, if you will, is him questioning whether or not autism is related to vaccines right. years ago, long before COVID vax. Right. Um, and that's. You know, that's a separate argument, I think, from COVID and the COVID argument that he's making, which is simply 
vaccines hadn't been tested. Well, um, and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I think, you know, we did have emergency authorizations and whatnot. And you're, yeah, you're, but you also had, I mean, you also had people saying, including our president and Fauci, that if you took the vaccine, you'd never catch COVID and you'd never spread it, which we now know was false. We also know uh, Fauci was funding gain of function research. And I don't ever she, remember him saying that. I mean, I do. It's, it's out there. There's videos of both Biden and They said and if Fauci. you take the vaccine, you will never catch it. Yep. You will not catch COVID and you will not spread it. Um, Send me Fauci was doing, I will do that. Fauci was doing gain of function research, funding it at Wuxi. He knew exactly what was going on. It's kind of ridiculous that, you know, we were blaming the wet market right outside the lab when the lab we knew was doing research on bat coronaviruses at the time, feet away, right? Um, and Fauci knew about it. So I'm not I'm not saying RFK is right or wrong, you know. Right. He's not a scientist, he's a politician. But there's definitely smoke, at the very least. If not fire, there's more to the story. And again, we kind of go back to trust, public trust in government, public trust in politicians. You've got these lifetime guys, Fauci's one of them. He's been in the system forever. And it, it becomes very difficult to trust people when you catch them in one lie and then two lies and then three lies or misleading statements, right? Um, that's just, that is what it is which is not something I normally like to say, but I mean, it's, it feels like trust in government and catching politicians and lies that are pretty blatant. It's happening more and more regularly. I think some of that comes with the information age and you kind I of think that's this, a big part of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, just based upon what you just said i i don't know any of that to be the case i mean i've heard it all before uh i don't know any of it to be the case i mean people make these cases but you know you just undermine everything in regards to um a public servant and what they've done for years and years based upon what? I mean, I, I just don't, I, well, again, you know, right. I mean, Fauci was asked in Congress if he knew about any coronaviruses being tested or any gain of function research happening in Wuxi and he said no but we know that's not not the case we've been funding gain-of-function research in, in Wuxi we're funding it um, it's Fauci so you're just saying he just we, out and out right. lied to Congress there, yeah, there were there were stories within a month of COVID happening it hadn't even been a big story on our shore yet of COVID and looking at the the virus under a microscope and it was clear that it had been developed in a lab based upon certain features and this came from 
Indian doctors and Indian analysts, Indian labs, and they were taken off Facebook, they were taken off Twitter, off social media. Our government was forcing that kind of thing off. But why would Fauci that be? said it was BS. Because we were funding it? And we now know it was real. Well, I don't I don't know if we know it was real. I don't want to get into conspiracy theories necessarily, right. but my personal belief is not necessarily because we're funding it, but because there's a relationship with China that has to be maintained, right? There's a lot of economic influence that China has because a lot of our companies are over there, right? Um, a lot of the cheap goods we have or buy are either produced completely by them or made in part over there. And um, there's also a lot of obviously political investment over there, not to mention there are uh, Plenty of rumors of the Bidens and other politicians making money to but, the tune of $100,000 Bob, $100, a month from Chinese companies. Do you? Do, I'm I'm for political reform, but can you can you imagine a situation where there are people who wish to undermine trust in government to replace it with something even worse? History will tell you that's happened. And like I said, I think that's a dangerous, it's very okay. tough to determine what's true or not in this information age now. And that's uh, that's why we need the reform that our PAC supports, right? SensibleCenterPAC.com. We'll see what absolutely. we support. Absolutely. I, I'm We're, just saying, how do we, you know, how do we get to that point? Do we replace it with something else? Um that could be more detrimental or do we try to work within what we have? I, you know, like I said, I've always tried to think we work within what we have rather than undermine the whole thing. But, um, do you, um, I want to, I want to kind of get to the next topic because I think it's a good transition point, but before we do that, do you want to, uh, mention our email address? If anybody wants to contact us with any questions about the pack, what we support, um, uh, how they the can email, get involved. The email address is sensiblecenterpack at gmail.com. So send any uh, topics you'd like us to cover, any questions you have about the pack and whatnot. Um, Great. I think we, we... in regards to RFK, <laughs> I, I think it does get down to the, the core issue on uh, trust in government what is what is real and what is not in regards to information and it's it's a very difficult thing to to rebuild and like you had mentioned our pack is seeking to kind of build it from the ground up but in the meantime you have candidates coming through like rfk that people have to analyze and say is he i i like to think of bernie bernie sanders is sort of the the ultimate truth teller um, in regards to a lot of things in government, I know, um, I think he would support a lot of the things we talk about in our pack. Um, I don't think he's the best, uh, symbol of that, but I think his message is, uh, pretty pure. Uh, and I'd love RFK to be that because I'd like I to think... understand how he got all his houses on a congressional salary. <laughs> 
I'm sure he's on that salary. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he's written books and things like that and done speeches. So you don't you don't think he's a pure player either? I don't. Okay. And I don't blame him for that necessarily. You got to take the opportunity you get, but I just don't think he 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 is who he says he is. Okay. Sorry, our... take away from your message. <laughs> That's all right. I, I I think, I mean, I don't know about him personally and about his homes. I would say that his message in regards to the system and how it's been one-sided for a long time is a fairly strong message. And I, I don't think it's a conspiracy theory. Um, so thinking about conspiracy theories and truth, right? What's what? You don't know exactly. But here's the thing. On Independence Day, a federal judge ordered the Biden administration and other federal agencies to stop contacting social media to censor free speech. Now, the Biden administration, which obviously has little regard for the First Amendment, appealed to a higher court to pause the order. And on July 10th, that court of appeal refused to pause the order. I'd like to just round of applause for that judge. I'm sorry, I don't have his name in front of me. I think it was a Trump, Trump appointed judge. But here's the thing, right? So he's gone through two courts in a matter of a week and they both said no. And this is great. So the judge stated, although this preliminary injunction involves, a new, involves numerous agencies, it is not as broad as it appears. It only prohibits something the defendants have no legal right to do, contacting social media companies for the purpose of urging, encouraging, pressuring, or inducing in any manner the removal, deletion, suppression, or reduction of content containing protected free speech posted on social media platforms. My favorite part, these items are protected free speech and were seemingly censored because of the viewpoints they expressed. It's fantastic. In other words, the judge is saying the government didn't like a political view. They didn't like what people were saying. So they censored it. It's a violation of the First Amendment. And in my opinion, this is my opinion here, not the judges, it equates to cheating in an election. Government officials were censoring free speech and they cheated in the last election and probably of many since and many before. Any thoughts? <laughs> I mean, that all sounds good, but what is urging, encouraging? Those are pretty broad terms, right? Yeah, well... They were literally making calls to Facebook, yeah. Twitter, Google, YouTube, yeah. others. So, so we're, we're, we're perfectly, I, I, let me, let me recall, this was 2015, 2016 election, right? I, I guess Not the, just, the it was Russian, COVID, right? I got, uh, and then COVID, yep, all of that. But starting Ukraine. with, I remember Congress calling, uh, the social media companies on the carpet and saying, well, why didn't you stop this disinformation? 
So there wasn't any dis. We're good with disinformation. Is that what we're saying? We're good with we're, free we'll speech. Let, well, disinformation. We're good with putting out, and this gets back to the same point that we covered with RFK. We're fine with muddying the waters for everyone, right? Let's just let anyone say basically anything and let the people decide what the truth is. That seems to be working really well. I, 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 you have that to works. draw, you, you need to I mean, draw a line. We at had, we had, we had several pauses. Yelling on fire in a crowded theater, that sort of thing. But yes, other than that. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I saw the two exceptions. One was for, uh, they can warn about the risks to national security. So I guess if a bomb is coming and Facebook, uh, post something that a bomb isn't coming or vice versa, the government could call Facebook up and say, you might want to take that off your site. Okay. And yep. then the other one is criminal, criminal activity. I don't know what that relates to, but Selling let's say there's guns or you're right there. Well, or risks in regards to criminal activity. Yeah. So that's the only thing we can, we, whether it, we don't really care about public health or elections, those are free game for anyone to muddy the waters. Let's just have, uh, let's just have the people decide what the truth is, and we'll go from there, and we'll see how how we do. Is that is that where we want to come out? I I'm completely okay with that. I mean, I I understand the Big Brother argument. If you think Clearly, about this, I understand the this, Big Brother. What What are the chances the government? And I'm I'm stating in my question here. Yeah. What are the chances the government has been doing this since radio existed? Newspaper. Of they've course. been writing, they've been editing, they've been calling it's... newspapers. Oh, please. Right? Please. It's been if happening you, forever. If you, if you read our history, uh, they it, take FDR, for instance. The, the guy had polio. They wouldn't show him in certain situations. I mean, that's how cozy the relationship was, yeah. right? Um, JFK, how many affairs did he have in the White House? Wasn't really talked about, written about, right. whatever. Um, yeah, it's been going on for a long time. Most I think a lot of what we see now is due to the social media information age. We're inundated with information. There's so much out there. People uh, get confused. Uh, and if we believe that the, the public information marketplace is working perfectly and, you know, everyone is staying up to date and doing their due diligence and their research and looking things up online and, you know, we could all spend time doing that, that's great. I'm a little concerned uh, about the next public health crisis or the next election that gets but I'm not, they already failed. They already failed with COVID. They were already putting, they were, the government was uh -oh. already putting out its own message with COVID yeah. that was false. Yeah. I it was false. The vaccines I don't, no, maybe I don't, helped. I don't, they certainly didn't stop COVID. They certainly didn't prevent they it. They maybe helped. Is that what you said? And, and then they were. Is that what you said? They, they maybe the vaccines helped. may, maybe helped. You're not willing to give the vaccines any. Oh, I'm giving You're some. Not willing I'm to giving say some. That they they may they may have helped. I'm I'm I got vaccinated. They helped. I took right? two. I, I didn't Can we go say beyond they helped? 
I, they may have helped. I don't right. know that well they did. I, I regret right. taking the vaccine, honestly. All right. Um, I could go into the stories about why that is, and but that's not what this is about. But it, they may have helped. They may have helped save lives. And some, they may, but they, they also, I mean, I know people who caught COVID at 102, 103, and it was a cold, right? Um, I know people who haven't had the vaccine, that those people and others didn't kill them. I don't know anybody who died from COVID. No, that's me. Okay. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, I, I do. also don't know anybody who the vaccine killed, right? You see these stories that scare you online and whatever, and it's kind of scary, but I don't know anybody personally that the vaccine killed or harmed. Um, but I do know lots of people who caught COVID after taking the vaccine. And therefore, I know people, I, I by assumption here, that who took the vaccine and spread it, and the government said neither would happen. So um, there's a lot of pressure on social media to read. So you you, know, you heard that I, I must have missed the boat on that on this. I I thought I was paying attention. I I thought vaccines have a certain level of effectiveness, and I heard. The effectiveness started in the mid 80 percent and then declined over several months that's what i heard i don't know what else was out there but, but that's what i heard how, and that's how, what vaccines do how would you prove I mean, that i mean what evidence is out it? there how would you do you give a well, group of we were in 50, the middle how of many a, people we're in how the you... middle of a public health crisis i'm sorry oh my alexa um, we were in the middle of public health crisis. You needed to do something, Bob, right? And I mean, this was under Donald Trump. I, I, oh yeah, it was. This was his. Oh. This was his administration. It was I, his. I, I think. Yeah. I think they did a, a a fantastic job on the vac on the vaccine. I've got no problem with what Trump did. I have a problem with the government censoring. People's but I don't think they thoughts were and opinions I mean, online you, and doctors. There's doctors out there who said, you know, take uh, whatever that it was the horse dewormer, but it's not right. What was the thing called? Ivermectin or ivermectin, right? Yeah. There's doctors out there that said ivermectin will help you. They were censored and taken offline. So you doctors didn't that said that, take it, a bunch of zinc, they were censored. There are doctors out there that said the vaccine might not be a great idea. They were taken offline. Their videos were taken off of YouTube. They were banned from Twitter, all that stuff because of the government. And the government didn't do that, by the way. No, the the government called these companies and said, we want you to take them off. And they urged them. They urged them. And they, because they. The government did it. Well, no. Facebook and Twitter are private companies. The government, we don't have Pravda in this country. We don't have, uh, this, despite what some people are saying, I don't think we have Pravda. I think the government's got a lot of leverage. In this country. If you stand behind somebody with a gun and urge them to give you everything in their wallet. So you don't think the is government that, Is that be, them giving, it, did you do it or did they do it? So you don't think the government should be urging media companies to give a certain point of view that the government believes in. No. And especially not. Well, that's the message. That's their job. That's the message that they're, 
they want the government to send can, out there. The government can send out the message just like they're the average not, citizen not, send, but they shouldn't be. They did not take down Facebook. They suppressed. They did. They uh, urged. They, they urged, urged the suppressing. Of course. And they actually, the in, they, they actually encouraged and in many cases got people banned from either Facebook or Twitter or YouTube. Again, again, they did not do that. There is no place that the government went into Facebook and banned people, unless you have some evidence of that. Well, if, if you look at Elon Musk's Twitter files, the government had a backdoor into Twitter. So you're saying they actually did that? They physically did that? There were people within the government had, had oh. ways to go in. That, that, that would be very interesting, and I would say... Uh, shame on Twitter for allowing that, but whatever. So I want to cover I want to cover uh, this war a little bit. I know we're getting kind of towards the end, and we're talking about not cutting covering this. Oh, we're just having fun talking but, about. <laughs> I, cluster bombs, right? So cluster bombs, cluster bombs. Um, I think this is somewhere we'll agree. I. First of all, I'm against the war on Ukraine, right? That's me. And so that might not, you and I might not agree on that point, but I'm against generally the against war, war. You're, I'm you're, against, no, I'm, I'm against funding the war, war in Ukraine. You're not pro war. You might be pro funding the war. No, I'm, I'm not against, I'm, I'm against funding the war in Ukraine. Generally, I'm against war, right? Vietnam was a terrible idea. Iraq was a terrible idea. Uh, but my opinion there is we're funding death. And it's very expensive. It's billions of dollars, and and it's resulting in nothing but death and debt. Um, so cluster bombs, to kind of summarize for everybody, they're basically large bombs that contain a bunch of smaller bombs. Big bomb goes off, spreads the smaller bombs. They'll go off and cause extensive damage. Uh, they're considered bad for many reasons. Um, Obviously, negative effects on civilians when these things get spread on detonated devices or might, might remain hidden for months or years and then go off years later, kill kids, kill families, random deaths well after the war. Um, oftentimes during the war, they go off in areas that citizens are around. And the Biden administration itself many months ago called potential use of these devices by Russia a war crime. Um, now there's planning to send them over to Ukraine, um, our cluster bombs over to Ukraine so they can use them against Russia after calling it a war crime. Uh, leaders of the UK, Canada, New Zealand, Spain have all said they're opposed to the use of weapons and 123 countries have joined a convention which prohibits all use of cluster bombs under any circumstances. So that's that's a bit of an informed rant there. Um, I don't like the war to start with. Cluster well, Zelensky, bombs. Zelensky are, seems to be happy. So here's here's the thing: if it was a war crime and we were going to use it against Putin, and we send cluster bombs over there and they go off. I don't see how you cannot charge Joe Biden with a war crime. Yeah. Well, he didn't. He didn't shoot him, but he sent him for use in the war. He, he supplied them, right? No, I, I, I'm not. 
I'm not advocating that we should supply cluster bombs. I'm, you know, I, I've had discussion with people about, uh, you know, you always get into the slippery slope. I mean, we could talk about support of the war. Clearly, we're, we've been walking down a path providing more and more support here. Uh, more, uh, you know, first it was defensive. Now, clearly appears to be offensive. Um, basically, we're, we're kind of fulfilling the needs of, uh, you know, what he's asking for. Um, I, I, I don't agree with it. I mean, especially with what you indicated in regards to our prior comments in regards to cluster bombs, let alone just ratcheting up the support and tying ourselves to the Ukraine. I don't, I don't know where this ends, but we should have, we should uh, have been pushing for a political solution from day one. Um, you always get into the argument. I was just talking with Deb the other day. You end up going down the, uh, well, you know, when you appease somebody, they, you know, we go back to World War II and Hitler and the Sudetenland and, you know, Chamberlain saying, okay, we're going to give them this, but no more. And, and then you give them a foot and they want a yard. I don't think we, you know, should fight yesterday's war and, and do all comparisons to what, what we, what went before. I think every situation's got to be unique and taken on the face of it. So, um, generally I'm for, uh, diplomatic and political solutions rather than war because I don't think war ever ends well uh, and it escalates and um, and it's always going to be a tit for tat and um, I think in this situation we're going to end up sort of in the same place that we would have began with a political solution after many deaths after and let alone the military well, industrial and, complex and that's which the thing I, we could force it I, I don't see how the u.s doesn't have the leverage today to force a solution force we could do a it solution? force yeah. a solution cut off funding we're not going to fund them anymore we could go as far as to tell europe to stop funding them as well but i don't think europe's really spending much in comparison to us anyway nato um this is it. We're done funding. We're done providing weapons. Going to force a solution. Russia, you can, you can also, I mean, we've got plenty of tools already. We've got, uh, uh, what's the term I want to use? I had one too many old foresters at this point, I think, but um, <laughs> sanctions. There you go. Sanctions. So we've got plenty of sanctions on them already, right? But we can tighten those even more. We probably have the means to cut everybody's money off at this point over there. Cut it off. And then tell them the war's going to stop. Russia, you're going to leave. Saying, Everything's going to go back to the way it was. Now, and then you can have your money you, back. You're done. You, you, you wouldn't have agreed to... You would have said we should have never started. We right? should have never started. Right. Absolutely. We, we should have done that at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, it's it's easy to say. I don't know the necessary dynamics in regards to that. But like I said, I always believe in political and diplomatic solutions. And if you, 
uh, are very clear in your messaging to the other parties and letting them know what the cost would be. Maybe, you know, going back to Theodore Roosevelt, uh, uh, carry a big stick, uh, you know. Um, One too many but... Woodfords. <laughs> carry a, is a carry speak a big silently. stick? <laughs> speak silently, but carry a big stick, yeah. Right. I believe that strategy has always been the best. Uh, I don't know how well it works with uh, uh, Vladimir Putin, but I think uh, if you can effectively have explained to him the situation uh, and you know what our goals were going to be and what we were going to do, uh, like you said, it's hard to believe that we wouldn't have had the leverage to uh, come about a diplomatic solution. And uh, I don't know if that's not what we want to do. That gets into, like I said, the military industrial complex, which is one of my conspiracy theories, but at least General Eisenhower warned about that 55 years ago. And you could tie that back to our first conversation, right? It's term or one of our early conversations. Anyway, term limits, the, uh, Politicians are heavily invested in our military industrial complex. Let's drink money next time. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, let's not do that. <laughs> but getting a little slack. It's, <laughs> it's like the Bill Maher podcast when you could tell his lips are sticking together because he's had so much. Yeah. He's had so much pot. We're getting, you know, and he starts laughing hysterically at the end. <laughs> and having trouble with words sort of like we are yeah. now yeah that's why i wanted to cut it off in an hour it's up to be clear it's only alcohol here but yeah <laughs> it's only alcohol. we right. could always cut the segment off <laughs> we cut it but it could be fun just to leave it in <laughs> yeah we'll either gain a, a huge crowd or a big problem we'll find out which one it is although i think i'll go back and realize i was mentally impaired about 30 minutes in <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> me too. Minus minus about thirty years. But I'm not going to thirty years ago. I'm not yeah. going to just drink water. So I think we both agree here. Cluster bombs, stupid. Uh, you know whether we could have resolved this before we got there, I don't know. I would think so, uh, but you know, I can't fathom providing them cluster bombs at this stage uh, that are clearly offensive. Like you said, it's gone against what we've said all before. Um, I don't know if we think it's going to draw a conclusion to the war. I don't see that happening. Um, The only conclusion I I see is giving Putin some territory uh, and having a political solution. I just I can't I can't imagine like you think about the left in this country all especially going back to Vietnam and the protests against the war in the streets and generally speaking there is no uproar over this cluster bomb thing and it just amazes me in the funding of this war and all the dead people it's 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 not just the left the right is not protesting it either yeah but generally speaking the left has the history of being vocally anti-war and the media is not touching it. And now 
you know, we're getting into this area of potentially using weapons, providing weapons that are, we've said ourselves that are bad, shouldn't be allowed. It's just, it, it amazes me and how we're getting step by step by step by step deeper into this, both monetarily and with weapons. It's just, it, it, I, I don't understand it. I'll it's agree with you on that. So I think I think the last point is a point of agreement. I I agree. The left has given up the ship in regards to and any anti-war sentiment, uh, except for maybe Iran, where we, you know, the right will have posed that we caved uh, with the nuclear agreement. But um, I tend to think... be a peace lover. I don't think war solves anything. Um, if Trump was in office, would the left be as silent as they are? If everything was the uh, same and Trump was in I office, don't know. I don't know. I don't. Uh, I I think they've sort of given up that that chip. I think they they. I think they're just as as you know pro pro war as as the other side. I don't just, hear I don't. I don't hear much resistance at all. We're we're the peacekeepers of the world through war. <laughs> well, we yeah. didn't start it. I guess we didn't start it, but we started other ones. I guess. I yeah, but we got to figure a way out of that. Not just Ukraine, but generally speaking, we need to get our tentacles out of everywhere around the world. Pull back. That's my opinion. Yep, and I'm I'm on board with peace that dialogue. Sort, of, sort of libertarian, uh, and I think RFK is uh, is anti involvement in other conflicts too, isn't he? Is he not? He is. Yep. Yep. Which is one thing I like about him. Circling back to where I would support RFK, but uh, well, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen with him. This has been an interesting conversation. <laughs> It has. And we said we were going to shorten it this time, but I think we may have exceeded the last one. It, it appears like we need to talk an hour and 20 minutes every time. That's about it. Which which will ensure us we've lost pretty much all of our listeners. By this <laughs> well, judging from the last 20 minutes, that's a good thing. But it, it's been fun. Yes, sir. Uh, so until our next podcast, you can find us at sensiblecenterpack.com. Is that, is that, I said that right, right? Yep. And uh, email is sensiblecenterpack at gmail.com. And like we said, we'll be coming to you every couple of weeks with fun and exciting topics like cluster bombs and term limits. Just what the people want. We encourage you to get involved. We're going to make a difference. We are making a difference already, Bob. I feel it. <laughs> Later. All right. Good Bye. night.